Good morning. Well, we're not supposed to go through life alone. We're designed to be in relationship with other people. There's no reason for anyone single, married, divorced, married again, teenager. There's no reason for you to be alone. God has set it up so we all have opportunities to be with and to develop relationships with other people. As Mark already said a few minutes ago in the What's Up moment, we're going to be talking about small groups today. And if you're here for the first time, you're probably like, oh man, I came on a day, they're going to try to get me to be in a small group. I don't know anybody here. Well, if anybody gets a pass today, if you're here for the first time, you get a pass. You can just you can just take notes and read this in a few weeks after you've been here about a month, and then that applies to you, okay? Or if you want to jump in a group today when we give you the challenge a little later, do it. The rest of you are probably thinking, oh, not another Sunday where they're going to say get in a small group. Yes, another Sunday where we're going to say get in a small group. Because one of my leadership fears is that we will become a place that's just about what happens here on Sunday morning. That's just about the show. And I don't use that in a negative way, but that's kind of what it is. We stand up here and we put information out there in a way that hopefully you sense and experience and you go and act upon it. But if this is all there ever is in your life, you will not get to where God wants you to be spiritually. You will not get to where God wants you to be relationally. Now, I understand when we're talking about small groups, everyone thinks something different. There are people in here who think, a small group? There's no way. I'd be, how could I go into a stranger's home? And how in the world could I ever bring a stranger into my home? That would be scary. I mean, have you seen my kids? Have you seen the way they act and you want me to bring people into my house? Have you seen the method with, with which we clean our home? We're not bringing, I mean, so I know people are just automatically, you're just starting, the wheels are starting to turn and you're thinking things like that, some of you. And you think, I could never get in a small group because I, I just, man, that's kind of intrusive. Just back off a little bit, okay? I'm coming to church. Is that not good enough? Not if you want to grow spiritually and relationally the way God designed you to. It's not good enough. Then there's people who think, all right, I tried the small group thing. You know, last year, six months ago, y'all did this small group thing. I got in it, and I would rather stick a pencil in my ear as to have to go back to that small group again. It didn't work. We couldn't get the people together. We couldn't get our calendars together. And then when we got in a room, these are people I had nothing in common with, and I didn't even like them. And you think, I'm not giving it another try. Look, many things in life don't work the first go around. I had three universities and seven majors before I finally figured out what God was calling me to do. So it doesn't go right always the first go around. So if that's you and you're standing here like, I just can't do it again. We tried and it didn't work. Yes, you can. I want to challenge you to try it again because it can work. Oh, this other group of people are in here. You're saying, oh, small groups are awesome. Just a few weeks ago, somebody said to me, my small group saved my marriage. Isn't that amazing? That somebody could get in a relationship with other people and their marriage be saved because of it. And I've heard story after story like that. Even in my life, I would not know Christ if it were not for a small group of college students 22 years ago who invited me into their small group before I ever knew who Jesus was or ever thought he had anything relevant to say to my life. 
And I got in this small group of people and started to develop relationships. In that small group, not only did I get a relationship with Christ, I met this girl. And I really thought she was pretty. And I really thought this is my reason for being in existence on the earth. And I stuck with that group and I stuck with that girl and we got married. And she's, she's out in the lobby cleaning up. She was in here first service. But that happened. And if you're single, you got to be thinking, maybe there's a chance. And you're getting your WhatsApp card out and thinking, well, if he found somebody in a small group, maybe I can find somebody in a small group. That's okay. That can't be your primary motivation all the time, but it's okay. When small groups work, people get so into it and they get so excited and they tell you it's the greatest thing ever. If your small I'm not going to say that because I was going to say if your small group works, raise your hand and then everybody, you better raise your hand, I guess, if you're in a small group. I'm not going to put you on the spot. You know it if your small group works and you tell people about it. If you never talk about it, maybe it is time to find another one. But today we want to challenge you to take that step and get into the community that God calls us all to be a part of. See, right now, every Sunday morning, we get our little elementary age kids and we put them in small groups. And they start to figure out and develop this is what, how life is supposed to be lived and they get, hopefully get to know the other kids in the small group and the small group leader because we want them to know from a very young age, I need to develop relationships with other people. That's what really makes life work. And that's what makes it meaningful is to have this common relationship with other people. And then middle and high schoolers, when they get into that ministry, they're in small groups so they can get into relationships in true community. And then when you're an adult, we want to challenge you to do the same thing. And our prayer is these little elementary kids, as the years go on and they graduate from high school, so 12 years after our church has started, which is in about seven more years from now, we hope to see the first group of small group leaders and members that come out of a strategy that said, we believe if you start small groups and kids are small, they'll live life differently. God has a lot to say about us having community with him. It's not just a program that we have when we say, get in a small group. It's not just something we want to add to our church and say, hey, let's, that's a cool program and every church's got to have small groups. We want you to be in a small group because we want that to drive everything that we do. Mark's going to talk to us a little bit about some of the biblical principles behind this idea of community. Well, like Donnie said, you, know, you, you hear this from the stage and you're going to hear it from, from all kinds of different venues because fundamentally we need each other. We just do. We were built this way from the very beginning. And that's why when we go through life and we feel like there's stuff missing, a lot of times it's because we feel that we're alone. You go back all the way to the very beginning. God is creating uh, night and day, and he says, this is good. And then he creates land, and he says, this is good. He separates the water from the sea, or the land from the sea. And, And again and again, you see this pattern. Every time he creates, it's good. And then he gets to creating man. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so God created woman. So ladies, you you basically created so that us guys could have a companion, right? 
But the fundamental thing there is that when he created us as human beings, he created us to need one another, to be around each other. And in fact, when you start to look through the scriptures, when you look at what the scriptures describe as hell, you know, we hear a lot of times, you know, reading in the Bible about fire and brimstone. And the Bible definitely talks about that. But the Bible also describes hell as this cold, lonely place out in the darkness, away from the hearth and the, and the, and the family of friends. Read in, in, in Psalm, the psalmist says the same thing. He says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land, left to be out there in the desert all alone. You know, one of my greatest fears would be if I ever had to go to prison. I mean, you think about this. Imagine who your, your community is if you're in prison. Rapists, murderers, racists, uh, people who are, you know, you've got to look over your shoulder everywhere you go. And yet, even though a prison is set up that way, what's the worst punishment they can give you in a prison? Solitary confinement. It's like, hey, here's our punishment. All these people who are out to get you and, and, and are rapists and murderers and killers, uh, we're going to punish you by, by not letting you hang around with them. I mean, to me, I'm thinking solitary confinement sounds good. I want my whole prison to say solitary confinement. But God has so wired us and built us that even faulty community and relationships are better than none at all. So why is it that we just don't hang out with people? Why, why isn't this easier? I mean, look, you got, there's people all over the place. You could just grab somebody and say, hey, I need a friend, you know, as you're going out today, right? Why don't we do that kind of stuff? See, just as much as we need these relationships and we need to be around people, people also hurt us, don't they? We get a lot of pain. And yet, we still have this emptiness and this, and we, and we, and this sense of loneliness even when we're among other people. Well, how do you feel that loneliness? How do, we, how do we solve that problem? Well, the first thing is that if you want to have a friend, you need to be a friend to have a friend. It begins by you investing in other people, you taking an interest in them. Have you ever said this or heard somebody say this? Hey, I walked into this party the other night and nobody said hi to me. Or have you ever said, you know, I, I call, I, I invite, but yet I'm always the one that's calling. They never call back. I keep loving them and loving them and giving and giving, and I never get anything back. I know, there's times in my life I've been on that side of it. I've also been on the other coin where somebody was saying that back to me. And really the, the problem is, is that even at times when we feel like we're giving back, when that person's saying, look what I've done, and they've actually done these things. Those of us who've been on the other side, we know that, that there's always little strings attached. That yes, they're giving, yes, they're doing this, but they're going to require this back. Or if I don't fulfill all of this list of expectations that this person has, then I, they're going to be upset and angry with me. I don't even want to get to that point. And so we, we send ourselves off. But that's because there's such a loneliness and an emptiness in many of our hearts, that we almost become like, like emotional leeches. We're looking for somebody. You know, 
We suck on them. We suck on them until we suck them dry. And then we leave them and we run off to the next person and try to suck them dry, waiting for somebody to finally supply what is needed. But it begins, true, true friendship and true filling begins when we start to look at others and say, how can we give back with no strings attached? When Paul, the great church planter, was running around planting churches, that's the way he planted churches. That's the way he built these relationships. He would come to a town and he would give to the town. He would make it a point not to be a burden to them. In Acts it says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. We didn't force you guys to do anything for us. We took care of our own needs. And everything I did, I showed you by by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words that Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul gave, there were no strings attached. He just gave. And then he says that, that, he says that famous line from, from Jesus. He, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive. And it's not just good practice. It's, it's a truth. It's a spiritual truth. That when you start to give in into other people's lives, it is better. It's better for you. You, you feel more filled after that experience. It is also more blessed to, uh, it's more blessed to listen than to talk. Have you ever been around somebody that's a talker and they talk and they talk and they talk and you don't even really want to hear what they're saying anymore, but yet they keep talking and talking, talking about themselves, talking about what they're facing, what they're dealing with. Who wants to be around that? But how about a listener? What's it like to be around somebody who asks you questions about your life? is interested in what's going on and what you're facing. It's more blessed to focus on other people and their problems than to be constantly focused on your own and the issues you're going through. See, when you begin to focus on other people, you start to help them, you start to root them on and cheer them on. In that process, your own problems that you're struggling with, they begin to shrink. And you find that there is a truth in this that is more blessed to give than it is to receive. But here's the deal. I'll tell you the truth. If you seek to find what you're, you're looking for that, and trying to fill that emptiness with other people, other friendships, and that's all you do, then you're still not going to be filled. Because the first friend that you have to make is God himself. Make God your first friend. And the reason that it works this way is because God is the source. So if I'm going to come to somebody and I'm going to give to them with no strings attached, no expectations that they're going to give back to me, then where am I getting my needs filled? Where's that emptiness get filled? Well, it gets filled by the source. Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you ever entered in or had relationships where there was never any fruit? Maybe you think back to your childhood and your experience with your parents and and you don't even have a relationship with them anymore. 
It's like everybody had expectations that, that they were going to get something out of it. To the point that you finally say, it's better just not to hang out with one another. Or how many marriages in this way? And think about it. Every marriage that starts, you start with this idea that life is going to be better. I'm going to feel this great and wonderful experience. And then slowly, it, it ebbs away from many of us to the point that we say, I don't want to have anything to do. This person not only is not bearing fruit in my life and the relationship isn't bearing fruit, but it's sucking me dry to the point that I'm going to separate myself from it. When we come to God, he is the only one that can start to fill us with those things that we need. We start out with this sense of dependency. And when we start to build this relationship, he gives you the ability to be independent. You can suddenly start to live on your own. I mean, you're, you're still dependent. You're dependent on him. But in your relationship with other people, you're not constantly trying to suck them dry because God is filling you up. And then you move to this place where you become interdependent. He so fills you up that you're overflowing and you start to invest in other people. That's the entire picture of the church. Jesus says it's, it's, a, it's a body. Paul talks about this, that each of us have different gifts and we start to invest in one another. We love one another. We bear one another's burdens. We care for one another. We admonish one another. And when we start functioning like that, we start to experience what God intended us to be as a body of Christ. And we start to feel this sense of, of filling this movement in our lives. But if we're ever going to get to that point, we've got to begin by, by letting down the walls. You may not realize this, but we all have walls, don't we? Because remember what we talked about, there's people out there and they, they've hurt us. And so we put these walls up to protect ourselves from people who are going to hurt us. But those same walls that we put up to protect ourselves suddenly become a prison circling around us, keeping us from, from relationships and from, and from the people that we so need in our lives and that God created us for. Have you ever heard that term that, that dog is man's best friend? I kind of have a theory behind this. Think about this. You, know, you have this dog, right? You got Fido. And Fido, you can lock him in a kennel all day long. And then when you get home at the end of the day and you open up that kennel, what's Fido do? He's running up there. He's so happy to see you. He wants a treat. And he's just, you know, giving you love. I mean, try doing that with your spouse. What would happen if you locked them in a, in a kennel all day long? Yeah, you wouldn't get the same experience, right? Or how many times has Fido verbally abused you and tore you down? No. They never say anything. And not only that, what's great is that if you want, you can tear Fido down all you want. You can do all kinds, you can even kick Fido. And what does he do? He comes back running to you, whimpering, like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're, everything's forgiven. You're forgiven. I mean, I think we're all kind of seeking relationships like that, right? Where we can do anything we want, and, 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 and the person's just going to always forgive us and come right back and respond and, and, and always be glad to see us no matter what we give. I mean, that's the kind of relationship, right? Where you take and you take and you take, and you don't have to give anything in return. But we were not built to have relationships purely with, with, with animals or other things. We're built to love one another, to have human contact in our lives. God's called us to that. And you've got to begin to start to tear down those walls to get to that place. I mean, isn't it the truth that sometimes healing 
requires putting on a hospital gown. Right? You go in there to the doctor and you're going to have surgery. You're going to be healed of something. You've got to wear that gown with your derriere flying in the wind. You know, that people come in, try to visit you, and you're thinking, I'm completely naked under this thing. <laughs> These people are sitting on my bed. They don't realize what's going on here. <laughs> but that's what, what has to happen. We have to become vulnerable, vulnerable with one another. James, speaking to the church in Jerusalem, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, there's some churches where you go and you, you just have one person. It's almost kind of in secret. and You confess your sins that you, you did that week and, and it's all kind of hush-hush and then you go on. But the Bible actually says, confess your sins to each other. And I don't even think that it's just talking about the sins that happened last week, but stuff that you've done in the past. Because there's a sense of cleansing that happens when we become real. And suddenly, you know, oh, Mark's up here on this pedestal, right? But, but suddenly I start confessing some of my sins, and it humbles me in your sight. Not only that, what it does is it, it gives you things. It gives you ammunition, doesn't it? Like if you wanted to, you could turn around and use some of those things against me, maybe in an argument down the road. Right? That's never happened to anybody. But that vulnerability is the only way that we can step in and grow. And here's a promise from God, is that when you begin to make yourself humble and vulnerable, that there is a cleansing that happens, and there is a protection that happens in, in the sense that God kind of guards your heart. And, and even though people would say things and come at you, there's always this voice in the back of your mind, God saying, I have cleansed you of these things. I've cleansed you of these things, and you are a new creation. And it's in that new creation that you can have a relationship with other people and finally grow close to them. But that's the kind of peace that God is calling us to. You know, we live in a time where we are watching, or if you're paying attention, you're watching a very important word evolve to mean something new. And that's the word friend. How many friends you got on Facebook? How many? A couple hundred? A couple thousand? And we call them friends. One of my favorite artists is Mute Math. And I watch Mute Math or, or follow Mute Math on Facebook. I don't know them. I know where they are. I know where they're touring. I know things about the band. But I don't, I don't know them. How many times have you heard your kids, or some of us older folks now, kids, we get Facebook as well. You say, oh, I'm friends with them on Facebook. Oh, okay, Facebook. That's a different use of the word friend. When really the word friend means someone you are connected to, someone you can rely on, someone you can have a face-to-face conversation with, and we're seeing the word be cheapened by an effective way to stay connected with people and information, but not an effective way to build meaningful relationships. Mark just talked about the the biblical ideal of the way we should be connected with God and we should be connected with others because of that relationship with God. And that's what we're challenging everybody to do today. Not just to be connected in the Facebook sense where your name on a list and somebody can know some facts about you that you want to put like, hey, going to the mall, I don't care, you know, so... (laughs) 
just bought some new shoes. Big whoop. Why am I friends with you on Facebook? Why are you doing that? But the true meaning of the word friend, that's what we're challenging everybody in this room to take a chance, take a risk, get in a group where you can start to develop that. You're not going to develop meaningful relationships in this hour on Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen. Not what it's designed for. And we don't even have an expectation that that's what happens. But let this be that springboard that challenges you to get into a deeper relationship where you're not just coming and doing church with people, but sharing your life with other people. Because that's when life really starts to be all of what God created it to be for you. Even in the first century when the Apostle Paul was going around planting these churches and going to one town and planting a church and going to another town and planting a church, he just wasn't this strategic thinker that just came in and, and did it and got out of town. He did much more than that. Listen to what he says in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at halfway through verse 6. He says, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. See, they were also sharing their lives with each other. Not just information, like we do here on Sunday morning, and an experience, and I I understand this can be a very uplifting and emotional time, but you can't share lives in an hour on Sunday morning. You can't have the kind of sharing that that I've experienced. When mine and Cinda's second daughter came along, when when Abby when she was pregnant with Abby, it went great, no problems, no issues, and and we're in the hospital, and it's delivery day. I'm about to become a dad again. We're excited. We're praying. Our friends are out in the lobby, and then all of a sudden, like in the snap of the finger. These, all the lines started to go flat and all these bells started to go off and whistles and, and, and nurses came running, doctors came running and, and I was thrown this set of scrubs and they said, go put these on. Your wife's going to have to have an emergency C-section. The baby's not doing well. And, and so I'm in this bathroom in a hospital in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, putting these scrubs on and on my knees just saying, God, don't let this baby die. Please don't let this baby die. And I needed comfort. I was scared. I was worried. My wife looked scared and worried. And, and we're being pushed out into the hallway and being pushed down the hallway. And the doors open up to go down into where the operating room was. And over in the corner of the lobby was my small group of friends. And they weren't, they weren't looking or anything, but they knew what, something was going on because they saw the doctors running, the nurses running. And they were huddled up and they were praying. They're praying for me praying for Cinda. They're praying for Abby. And we went into that delivery room. I had more comfort because my friends were standing there praying for me and my child and my wife. If something happened in your life when you left here today, would you have a group of friends huddled somewhere in the corner praying for you? That's why you need to be in a small group Because you need that. Because things happen in life. That's why we want everybody to just take the risk. Even if it didn't work before. Even if you think I'm not a social person. You still need friends. Take the risk and get into a small group. We're making it really easy for you. By the way, Abby was born 
perfect. I fainted. <laughs> and we have a picture of me in the operating room with everybody smiling except me with oxygen on my face. But we're making it so easy for you. One of our leaders here at Wakefield has spent hours and hours putting together this website called findmygroup.com. It's our website. And if you leave here today and you go to findmygroup.com, you're going to see all the life groups at LifePoint. Some meet in homes, some meet in a restaurant, some meet down at our offices we call the hub. Some meet for just really open Bible study verse by verse. Some meet to go through a set curriculum. And you can go through there. If, you, if you're like, look, I want to be in a life group. I love kids, but not in my life group. You know, I want to be one without kids. Okay, if that's just check without kids. It's very self-explanatory. Just go through, fill in each of the blanks or click the choices, and you'll be given a list of choices for groups that are available to you. If you forget findmygroup.com, just go to our website, click on life groups, and you can navigate to it that way. If you would like more detailed instructions, just check life groups or write life groups on the back of your WhatsApp card, and we'll get in touch with you. We're making this so easy for you to take that step into community. Give it a couple of months. Give it a shot. What have you got to lose? But look at what you've got to gain. People who will be there for you. That's the way God designed us to live. If you have any questions about life groups, Mark will be out at the info booth after this service and he will be glad to talk to you and get you more connected. There's also some old-fashioned paper out there with ink on it that's got the, the groups on it as well. If you're not comfortable doing that digitally, just take one of those. You can check it off and, and sign up just the same. Take the challenge, take the risk, and get into the community that God created you to live in. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for just the way you create us to live in close relationship with other people. And God, in spite of our flaws, in spite of our weird personalities, in spite of our quirks, we can still have that relationship with others where we'll have someone to pray for us. God, may no one leave here today without taking the step of having someone to be there for them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.